Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, good morning and again, and uh, welcome. It's, uh, it's good to worship together and sing. Um, it's good to, to sing to our God, and, and it's good, as I, I say often in our worship, part of what we're doing in singing songs is affirming them to each other and declaring things to each other in, in a congregation. And so uh, what we're doing is worshiping together, as I would say, as a family. We talk about that sometimes as this being our church family. For, for Susanna and I, that's, that's really true as, as Susanna's family is in another state and my family is in another state and we're here and and really, for many of you, you're kind of our family here. You're, you're the ones that we like to hang out with and, and watch the Super Bowl with or watch uh, things and, and kind of hang out together with. So uh, that idea of a family is kind of what I want to bring up and, and kind of start to look at this morning um, in a, kind of a, a small series that we're going to look at moving forward. Um, it was also, I would say, even fun this week to be able to go and on Tuesday morning when my snowblower was, I had mine finished, to be able to go and help a couple other, couple other people, including some here, uh, with blowing snow, because that's what we do. We take care of each other, not just as good neighbors, but, but as a family together. Um, and I, I think that this idea of family goes much more beyond that. Ultimately, this is our, our spiritual family. It's a family that we want to uh, to encourage in the walk with the Lord. And this morning, as we move into this series, which you see up above me, we're talking about a member of the family, and, and the, the subtitle, if you can see it up there, is The Local Church Is Its Members. The Local Church Is Its Members. The idea there that I want to start to unpack as we move forward over the next little bits, a handful of weeks, is this idea that obviously we know that the church is more than just this building, that the church isn't just the brick and, and the wood, though this place is, is wonderful. That's not the church, nor is the church... It's programs. The church isn't the fact that we're putting on this big men's conference next week or, or anything else that we do. The church isn't those things. The church is the people. The church is what we're being and doing together as a group. And so this morning as we kind of gather, I want us to be thinking about that and, and kind of starting to impact the idea of the family and also probably where we're going to go a little bit more is towards this idea of membership or being a member of the family. Uh, it's something that I, I think is important. It's something that I, I think is, is biblical, and I'm going to try to maybe unpack that a little bit today. Um, but the, the hope is, is that uh, we're starting to think about it in terms of uh, to be a member means to, to really take a step forward into to saying, I want to be part of this family, and I want to make this family my family, this church. Uh, for some of us, we've been members for a long time. For others, we haven't even thought about it. Uh, what I, I don't want to communicate this morning is if you're not a member, that you're sitting there and you're, you're therefore a second-class family member. That would be probably wrong. But, but in a way, and I'll probably say this through the next handful of weeks, is, is the idea that, that what, we're to, what I'm encouraging is, is, is moving towards not just maybe we could say dating the church, but actually marrying the church and saying, hey, I, I want to be in. I want to be committed to that. 
So this morning I'm going to kind of unpack why we even think membership would be a biblical thing. And, and then from there we're going to go into, in the next couple weeks, and, and no matter who you are, the next few weeks will be important to consider uh, what should a family member be doing? What is a member of the church or someone that's part of the church, what should they be participating in? How should they be acting? What are the, the things that are important that they need to be doing and being to keep the family healthy? So, again, a, a few more comments before we get to our text this morning. My hopes, these are my hopes for us as we look at the next few weeks. These are, this is going to kind of lead us uh, kind of up towards Easter, not quite to that point, but is going to lead us towards Easter. And, and my hopes in this series is, one, to kind of bring this out on the table for us to at least consider this idea, to, to be talking about it. Because I, I think for me, in two years of being here, that I haven't talked about this, and, and I think that... Um, I'm realizing that we should have at least brought something like this up. Um, and then also, number two, for my hopes, is that we're just thinking biblically about, uh, about the idea of what is going on in this church and, and what it means to be part of a church family, to be thinking biblically about that from God's Word. A third hope is if you're not a member, um, that you and you've been coming here a while, that you might consider that. Say, is that for me? Why would I do that? What is important about that? You are hearing this as an invitation to joining in uh, and a, on a more uh, committed level. And if you are a member, which many of you have been for a long time, I hope that this message, this series, is reminding of us of what we're actually committed to and what we're doing and what we should be participating in and what really is important in our membership. So those are some hopes, and, and with them I need to put up a couple kind of um, disclaimers, you could say. First uh, is the fact that I know that some of you guys might be visitors. You might be here from another church. You might be, this isn't your, your church home regularly, and that's okay. And so uh, if you hear this, um, know that... Uh, I think that this stuff applies to whatever church you may call home. The important part is that you're finding a church to call home, part of a local body. The other thing that I want to just comment on is that when it comes to membership, I want to just affirm that I think that there's a lot of baggage that comes with this term. There's a lot of um, what I would describe in, in our community and, and in Christians, there's a lot of scar tissue in the church. There's a lot of um, things where, where either if you've been a part of a church like this and you've seen members who you've called your family and you've seen them leave and it wasn't a healthy thing and that was a bad thing, that you might hear that, that might be coming out. Or maybe you were part of a church where you were there and you were part of that family and, and it something happened where it was uncomfortable and things happened where it kind of, it fell apart and, and you were kind of pushed out or you didn't feel good about it. And, and those things might come to mind. And, and so I, I want to just affirm those hardships um, first off before we start talking about this, knowing that they exist and make a comment that I believe that unfortunately the local church, while it is God's church, it's God's family, it's also made up of a bunch of sinners made up of a bunch of people who are broken and, and mess up. And so, um, for wherever, whatever that means to you, uh, I just want to comment on that and just affirm those hardships and those painful things 
um, but also at the same time say what we need to do is in the middle of our experience and our difficulties, we also need to look and say, well, what does God's word say? What do we see in scripture as being the thing that we, we want to hear and take for uh, as truth? So uh, with that, uh, let me let me move towards our text. Let's let's go and pray and, and ask God and thank him for his word and ask that he can he can teach us through it. And then we'll read the text. So uh, will you join me in praying? Father, this morning we thank you that we are here worshiping you. We thank you that you have made it possible for us to go before you and praise you, for us to go before you and have hope in you, to feel your mercies, to feel your grace. Jesus, you made that possible and we thank you for it. And as we talked about last week a little bit and as we will think about in this idea of, of church and the family of the church. Lord, you love your church. You love your bride, the church. You died for the church. And not just the universal church, but also this church. We thank you for shedding your blood and forgiving us of our brokenness, our rebellion against you. And we thank you that you've given us a chance to be part of something great. Lord, we ask that this morning that through your spirit, through the helper, that we can hear your words and, and be uh, listen into them and, and hear what you would have for us. And in the midst of all the other things that are competing in our lives, Lord, we ask that you can give us uh, just wisdom now as we approach this text. Give me wisdom as I speak. May these words be of you. Father, we thank you this morning that we can worship and praise you. And even the fact that we can just talk about your church, that you've provided us a, a family in you. Father, we, we praise you this morning and thank you. And we listen to you this morning as we go. In your name, amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to use this passage as kind of a, a, a launching point into some other passages. I want this to kind of be uh, our first passage that we look at in this idea of the church as a family, this idea of us being together. So if you'll turn your Bibles, if you're looking at the Pew Bibles, page 821, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll start at verse 12. There, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all are members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head, or head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts we are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul's words here are to the church of Corinth, a church that if you are to go back and read this whole 1 Corinthians, this whole book, this whole letter to the church, you would see that this is a church, but they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of brokenness and issues. A lot of things that are just, uh, they're, they're not really functioning as a healthy body or as a healthy family. They're dysfunctional, we could say. But Paul is encouraging them and wants them to grow together in, in, in this family, in this body sense, in, in them as a local church. And what we need to see, what I want us to see about the church of Corinth is that he's not just, this, this letter that we have in front of us isn't just written to us. It was first written to a local church, a, a single group. If we go back to the first chapter of the book, chapter, in the second verse, what we see there is Paul says to the church of God that is at Corinth. This church has a geography, it has a location, it's a finite body of people. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, he says, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers to them that this is a a body in a location of of believers, those who have trusted and said yes to Jesus, and and they are, are to work together as a body amongst all the bodies that Jesus has died for. Amongst all the churches and those who call on Jesus, this group is a specific, small group of people, probably in a house church, probably somewhere in Corinth where in the midst of a very pagan world, they're there and, and they're to gather together. He sees them as a local, smaller part of a, some, of a much bigger church. And so he's speaking to them as you go through the letter, you see all these divisions, all these problems, and, and, and throughout he continues to say, you need to be with each other, you need to work together, you need to support each other. And it's not just in helping each other out and mowing each other's lawn, it's, it's helping walk in, and moving towards Jesus with each other. If you read through the whole book, you're going to see this word come up, you, 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 you. And, and as, I, as I think about that, and as I, I just actually talked to with a couple guys about this not too long ago, one of the things that we need to make sure we do when we hear the word you in the text is that we understand that when, when, you, when we read you, often we can think me. 
That's the singular you. But often when we see it in 1 Corinthians and other places in the New Testament, it's not singular, it's plural. So what he's actually saying is not you, but if we were down south, he was saying y'all. He's saying you all need to do this. So when we read through 1 Corinthians, it's important if you take note that when he says you, he's not talking about single commandments, but he's saying do this as a church together. Important for us as we approach chapter 12, which I just read. Chapter 12 is where he starts to talk about this body being together and and walking together and being part. And it's saying you, you need the body together. God didn't just make all hands. He made different pieces to come together and support each other and walk with each other. From there, we also read in that text that he says the hand or the eye can't say, well, I don't need the rest of the body. And we can think of that two ways. The first is probably less likely, but there might be some who say, well, the church has all that great stuff going on and, and, and I'm insignificant. The body doesn't really need me. I don't really need to be part of it. And, and, and Paul would say, no, no, even if you're insignificant, we need you as part of the body. God has brought you here for a reason. You need to be part of this. The other side, I think, is more of the arrogant side. Those who say, I'm great, I'm awesome, I don't really need the rest of the body, I can function on my own, I I can do this on my own. And, And so for those, Paul would say, you're fooling yourself. You need the church, you need the body, and you need to be walking together in life with these people, with others in this Christian walk. From there, we can see kind of two points that I I want us to pull out of this passage before we move on to something else. One, that Paul obviously states that the church, that Christian life can't be done alone, that we can't walk through this life and say, "I, I love Jesus and I can kind of do it on my own from there. I can kind of worship and I can honor God and walk with him on my own. Paul would say, no, you need the body. You need someone to sharpen you. You need someone to encourage you. You need the church. And that's kind of the second point, that here we can start to take that the way that life together happens is here in a church body. Even in our day, I think the, the, the trend kind of pushes away from this. Uh, as a buddy of mine back in Wisconsin would often say, you can go online and listen to the best preacher, someone that's way better and more articulate than me, you can, if you didn't like the worship music this morning, you can go online and listen to just what you like out there. You can download and listen to whatever you want, but you don't have the church. You don't have the people. You don't have the family. We can't do this walk, this life on our own. Now, it's important for me to pause and say that I think what Paul is going after here, too, is that being part of the family, being part of the body, has much more to do with just kind of showing up and and checking off the box. It actually means participating, walking with people, doing life with each other. Because if any of you are parents, and you host a family meal like Thanksgiving, and your son comes home and just says, Uh, Well, I I came home for Thanksgiving, but I really just want uh, the to-go box of the turkey dinner and go grab it and then leave. We know that he's not really being part of the family. He's just taking a meal. 
He's not living life and being part of that. And so the same could be said for the church, that as we gather together, what we want to be doing is much more than just showing up on Sundays, but doing life together, helping each other out. Now, that passage just encourages us to be a church together, but then the question that we need to consider is, is there a biblical idea of membership? This idea of church membership is going to come up, and and that's kind of what I want us to think about a little bit. Is that biblical? Is there something that we can glean from here and from other passages that say being part of a church and committing to that is a thing that we need to do or that the Bible suggests that we should do? Now I'll give you this. The word church membership is not in the Bible. You're not going to find it anywhere. Uh, there, it would be really easy if, like, the book of Hebrews just said, like, be part of a church and commit to it. And it said just a black and white, there it is, and I could point to it. But it doesn't really say that. But neither does our Bible speak the word Trinity. Our Bible doesn't say the Trinity. It speaks of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all separate, but it doesn't say it as a, as a concept. So just because the wording isn't there doesn't mean the concept isn't there as we look at our Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5. This is still in that chapter that Paul is talking to. 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, more specifically, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13 at the bottom. But as you turn to that, you're probably going to see in your Bibles this, this title, this subheading that says, Sexual Immorality Defiles the Church. And we, we can see that, and we're, we're, we're thinking, wow, that, that's, that's bad. And if you read the story, it, it gets really pretty disgusting. The, in the midst of this discussion of the church body, in the midst of, of him talking, Paul talking about their problems, one of the problems that comes up is this guy who's part of the church. We would assume that he's, he's been in the church, and he's been part of it, and he's caught in this sin, in this brokenness that's quite disgusting. He's basically with his father's wife, probably his stepmom. I I can't imagine that. I'm thankful that I haven't had those pastoral counseling appointments yet. But what is important here is this has gotten bad. This is a a despicable thing. And, And Paul goes throughout this chapter kind of calling out this guy and calling out the leaders of the church and saying, this is wrong, this is bad, while later on he'll say, you need all the pieces of the body. Here he's saying, this is like having a hand that's just got gangrene on it. Like, you got to cut it off. You got to get rid of it. Because it's defiling the whole church. It's making everything look bad. We would assume that this brother or this guy who is causing the sin, probably what they thought was a Christian, has gone through the process of of church discipline as, as Jesus himself spoke in Matthew. I'll read those verses where Jesus says, If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you. And every chart that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be your 
be to you a Gentile or tax collector. And Jesus has this process set up, and we assume that this man who's caught in this sexual sin has gone through this process as Jesus prescribed, and it's now been elevated to Paul, and Paul is saying, you need to get rid of it. So we look down at verses 12 and 13, and that's where I want, of chapter 5, that's where I want us to draw our attention. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, it says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now at first glance, when I read that, there's some strong words in there. Some words that in our time and age maybe even make this sound, we could use this passage as sounding intolerant, we could say. But it's in the Bible, I want to point that out, and it's something that we need to take and, and, and take seriously. What is God going after? What is Paul going after here in this passage? What is he saying? Let me read it again. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. A couple points that we can pull out here. There's this insider-outsider language. Insider-outsider language. He talks about outsiders and insiders, and both of them are in sin. He, he speaks of the fact that, that those who are outside the church, those who are not part of the church, those who are caught in their sin, that's God's job to judge them. That's God's territory. We know that as missionaries or as, as mission-minded people, we go to people with the gospel, present the good news, present the hope to them, and we offer that to them, and if they reject then God is the one who judges. But what about inside the church? What about those who have said yes to the church and, and are part of it, and they're caught in sin? What Paul is suggesting is that there's a process, that there's something in place for us to kind of say, to call people out within the church on their sin, on their brokenness, uh, on their rebellion against God, and, and, and going after them and saying, you need to change. You need to walk away from this and walk towards God. And, and Paul assumes that, that, that the people here of this church in Corinth, they're supposed to know who's inside, who's outside, who, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, so that they can pro go through this process of what we would call church discipline, an uncomfortable term, a, a word that we, we maybe don't like, but as if you're a parent, you know, s discipline needs to happen sometimes. For someone to grow and to mature. Within the church as well, the, the, the idea of discipline is a good thing. We should desire it. We should even in our lives say, if I get out of line, if I get caught in sin, I should want someone to come up alongside me and encourage me and walk me and, and, and kind of discipline me and bring me towards, towards God so that I can walk closer and glorify my God better. And Paul is pretty serious when he says that this man who is caught in the sin, who's gone through a process of discipline, who we would assume has been an insider, has been part of the church, he's now saying, you need to purge him. You need to get rid of him from the church. Other translations talk about expelling him, removing him. You must remove him, the New Living Translation says. The idea of excommunication, the idea of saying, no, he's not part of our church anymore. Now that sounds like difficult stuff, it sounds like tough stuff, but what I want us to see in that 
is that there needs to be some case for understanding who's in and who's not. Who is part of the church and who is not, so that the, the, the leadership in the church can go through these processes or, or can be praying and caring for those people in the church. Now let me go on to a couple other verses. Can we take this thing out of the context of Corinthians? Can we, can we move to other churches and see where this idea of being part of the church and committing to the church and being a member in the church actually has some, some relevance or, or some, some traction in other places in the scriptures? Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Again, Paul is speaking to leaders here. He's speaking to pastors, elders, overseers. Those words are all kind of the same in the Bible. At Acts 20, he, he's giving these, this, this call to the leaders of the church of Ephesus to care for the people. Acts 20, verses 28 through 31, it says this. The leaders, he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that there are many that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. For from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Uh, Paul is speaking here, as I said, to the Ephesian church, to the elders, to the leaders. And, and he's saying, care for the sheep that God has given you. Care for the flock that you are to shepherd. In a way, this is, if you've ever heard the term that, that pastors are under shepherds, it, it's talking about, we know Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the head of all this. And, and he has made leaders of churches under shepherds to care for a gathering, a small part of his flock. That's my job or part of my job and the leaders of our church's job to care for the flock as leaders, overseers, elders. He says, pay attention to them, watch them, care for them, love on them, care for the church. And what's important is here is it's to, for us to pick up on is it says, which Christ obtained with his own blood. This church that, that I and, and other pastors and others around that, that we are called to care for and, and shepherd well came at a mighty cost for Christ Jesus. He laid down his life. He suffered and died for you. And he's put that in our charge to care for. So for me, that, that's, that's something that I have to take seriously. And we need to take seriously. And, and as we look at this, we, we need to consider who, what he's talking about. What is my job? Or what are, what's the job of, of, of the leaders in the church? He, he talks about it in two ways. My job isn't, according to this, isn't to just be, be the missionary for all of you. My job is to care for you in, in terms of the wolves and, and the teachings and the things that may come up. 
He talks about those who are from outside trying to pull you away from God and pull you away in your walk and distract you along the way. I have to care and make sure that you're still going and walking with Jesus. And also that he talks about those who come up from within, that I'm watching and being ta- caring for them and making sure that, that if anything's coming up that's going to split the church, that I'm aware of it. So I'm protecting the flock. Sometimes I read these things and I don't know that I like my job all the time. But the important thing is to say that that's part of the local church. To protect the members, those who are inside, not not those who are out there somewhere, but those who are here, that my job is focused in on those. One more verse for us. Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. This will go kind of in tandem with that verse that we just read, those verses that we just read, caring for the flock, watching after those, thinking on those and, and loving on them, protecting the ones that Christ died for. And to be honest, as I look at this verse, and, and if there's any verse that puts the fear of God in me, it's probably this one. It's a verse that, honestly, when I think about it, and as I studied it, it makes me tremble a little bit. It gives me anxiety and fear before the Lord. The writer is talking to the church. He's talking to the leaders. Or he's talking about the people, the church following their leaders. And he says this, verse 17 of chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pick this apart a little bit. Here we say, see a two-way partnership. That, that to the members, he says, obey the leaders, submit to the leaders, follow the leadership, not just random leadership, whoever, but leadership of the church. Follow them, obey them. Why? they're keeping a watch over your soul. I still confess that I probably have a lot of studying to think about this, what, what this means. But, but as, as I listened to other pastors talk about it, as I read a little bit about it, that part is serious. What does it look like for me to keep watch over the souls of the church? What does it look like for me to, to care for those that are here, that are members, that have said, I'm in, this is my church, be my pastor? It means praying for, encouraging, walking with. I don't know that I always do the, the best at that all the times, but, but I, I'm guessing that, that, uh, that hopefully God's grace is good in the end, that, that, that he'll say, well done in some areas. He might slap my wrist in some areas. But it's something for me to take as serious because what it says is, at the end, I will have to give an account to you, to the members. But as I said, it's a two-way street. My role is that, to work and pray and, and with the leadership to, to encourage and, and point you towards Jesus. But the members' role is to, and we should take this seriously, to obey, to submit, to help the job that we have 
to do it with joy. So why do, what does this all have to do with membership? What does these last couple of verses have to do with that? Uh, the question that needs to be asked is ultimately, who are those that the leadership of this church and, and me will have to give an account for? Is it, is it all the Christians globally, those who, who have said yes to Jesus worldwide? Well, that seems doubtful. Is it even just those who say, I'm a Christian in Mountain Lake or the surrounding area? That seems more doable, but still really hard. Is it the people that are on our block or in the radius around this church? Closer, but maybe not quite there, still tough? What about those who come to Community Bible? Do I have to give an account for anyone that walks in our door at any time? Or is it those who are Christians and have said, yes, I want to be a member? I think that that's why membership is something that we want to think on, that we want to take, that, that, it's, that part of it, it isn't about just having, ha- having you be on the rolls, on a list, and say, oh, look at our, our long membership list. No, it's so we know who is part of those we are to give an account for. So how do we define membership? How do we define it? We, we looked at the idea of, uh, of us being a group, a church together. Uh, the fact that, that Paul obviously sees some insider-outsider language of, uh, of those that we can kick out someone, which means also that we need to let someone in uh, in the first place to be a member before we kick them out. And, and he also says that the leadership are supposed to care for and, and, and follow, and, and the church is supposed to follow under and lead, be in submission to the leadership. How do we define this membership? As I said, it's not just a matter of being on a piece of paper. It's not just a, a matter of, of being here and saying, yeah, this is where I give my check, my tithe to. This is where I show up on Sundays. I like what Jonathan Lehman in his book, Church Membership, he defines church membership this way. He says, and it'll come up on the screen. He says, church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a church and a Christian, a Christ follower, characterized by a church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to the living out of his or her discipleship in the care of the church. Again, it's a formal relationship between the church and the Christian on an individual basis. It's a two-way street. The church is, is committing to, to walk with that person, to grow them in their discipleship. And, and the, the Christian is saying, I want to submit and fall under and say, help me be a better disciple for Jesus. Which really comes back to the family idea, I think. In the family we know we have parents and kids and grandparents and aunts and uncles and and some of you may not come from a healthy family, but if, if we imagine for a moment a healthy family where those roles are being played out, we're working together and, and we're part of that family and encouraging each other to be a better family. And more importantly, I think what is going on here is that a membership, this, this thing that I, I, I hope that we're inviting 
I'm inviting those two to be part of, or, or if you are a member, to be better at, or if you're a visitor, to be a better member at your church, wherever that is, is that we do this. We don't just put our name with the church for the church's sake, but we do it for Jesus's. The reason that we do this is to aim, we aim to glorify our king, and that's kind of my final point that I want us to do, that the reason that I'm calling for this or asking for this, for us to think about this, is the, the fact that in, in this partnership, in this relationship, the hope is, is that we're making Jesus look better. I wrote on my board this week as I was thinking about this, if we go back to that idea of formal relationship, that, that encouraging relationship, that partnership, that I, I kind of ask myself, why wouldn't we want this? Why wouldn't someone want someone to say, yes, I'm going to help you grow in your walk? To which we'll kind of pull out and think about as we go in the weeks ahead. But this morning I want us to think about how can we partner together? How can we be members and, and a family together? Especially in moving from just saying, I come, I attend, I show up, to saying... And declaring, yes, I want to be part of this. Shepherd me. Help me grow my walk. Grow me. Can, and, and help me in this membership thing that we see in Scripture as part of the body, the coming of Christ. The point of this isn't for our church. The point of this is for our King Jesus, who, is, who loves His church, who wants His church to grow. So with that, let me turn to Him and pray as we think about this, as we work towards uh, just letting him speak to us about this message. Let's pray. Jesus, you loved your church. You loved your people, your bride, those who you call sons and daughters, those who you've asked to leave everything and follow you. Those who have been redeemed and restored from bondage. And so many other things that we see in Scripture. Jesus, you love your church and, and you call the local church to this task of, of caring for Christians and, and you've left us in charge of growing each of us into, into being disciples for you and growing in our walk with you giving us protection from where we might err and fall off and move towards sin so that we don't go further and further down that path. Lord, I ask as we gather here this morning, as we go out from here, as we think about this idea of being a family together in a formal way, Lord, I, I ask that you work on our hearts. Whatever our reasons for thinking positively or negatively toward us, may you work in those things and encourage us to think about you. Father, this morning we thank you for your church. We thank you that it's a grace that we've been given a family who cares for us, loves us, and wants us to grow to be greater disciples of you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray this morning.